This morning we're returning where we left off at the end of last year to John chapter 4, and this morning we'll be reading John chapter 4, verses 1 through 26. I'd invite you to turn there if you have a Bible with you, otherwise you can follow along on the screen behind me. This is perhaps one of the more familiar passages in the Bible, the woman at the well and Jesus. And we pray this morning as we hear this word read and proclaim that the Lord would teach us who this Jesus is. That is the point in the Gospel of John, to show us Jesus, to convince us that He is Lord and Savior. So beginning at John chapter 4, verse 1, hear the word of God. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John... Although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews." But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This is the word of God. 
on the south rim of the Grand Canyon is a point that is not accessible by most vehicles. It is called Yaki Point. I was standing there about this time of day two days ago with one other man. It was just the two of us. It was fairly apparent that neither of us had seen the Grand Canyon before that day. And it was also fairly apparent to me, as we were looking without saying anything, that both of us were deeply impressed by what we were seeing. It was overwhelming. I kept thinking to myself, it's like looking at a giant's painting of a scene. It's almost unfathomable that this is real. It is so big, it is so beautiful, it is so overwhelming. So I asked him the natural question, where are you from? He said, I'm from Uganda. Where are you from? Hoping to impress him, of course, I said, Michigan. (laughs) A long period of silence followed as we continued to look at the mile deep crevice called the Grand Canyon. And then slowly he turned to me, May I ask you a question? Perhaps it's a silly question. I don't know if I should ask it. Can you tell me how this, all of this, got here? For a moment, two days ago, I thought about just saying, well, if you go to the visitor center, it says the Colorado River in a long, long period of time. But that's not what I said. As awkward as it seemed in my own spirit to say, I said, I believe that God put it here, the God of the Bible. There was more silence, long silence, awkward silence. And then another question, who is this God? This God you say made the Grand Canyon? That's a good question, isn't it? Who is this God? What would you say if you're a Christian? Where would you go to explain who this God is? This morning we are returning, as I said, to John chapter 4. The whole gospel of John is designed to answer that question. Who is this Jesus? And John wants so badly to convince us this Jesus is our only hope. There is nowhere in all the world to go to find the hope that we find in Jesus. That is the goal of the gospel of John. And now in John chapter 4, I want to focus on verses 24 through 26 with you this morning. The writer answers the question, who is God? And as simple as that question is, as you're mulling over, standing on the edge of Yaki Point in Grand Canyon land, answering this man, who is God? What do you say? Let me tell you what John says. John says that the God that we read about in the Bible is hear this, and I'm going to explain each part of it. He is this distinct being who is knowable and near. That's not the only thing the Bible says about God. But it is John's answer to that question, and I want to explain that to you. Let me begin with the world of John chapter 4. Obviously, the answer that comes in verses 24 through 26 
These words do not come in a vacuum. In fact, they come in one of the most stark and surprising places in the Gospel of John to this point. One of the things that we know about the Jews and the Samaritans is they did not like each other at all. They were in opposition to each other. The history of the Samaritans is maybe a little fuzzy, but our best understanding is that the Samaritans arrived in this place in the world in the following way. It was most likely that they came from an intermarriage between the Jews who were in the northern part of Israel, who were left behind when Israel as a nation was taken captive. So these Israels who were sort of the leftovers, when they intermarried with foreigners who were brought to that place by the Babylonians and the Medo-Persians. And the worship that the Samaritans offered was a combination of both the Jewish religion as well as what came from other places. It was syncretistic. And so there was violence and disagreement between these two groups of people. There was a deep division over the question, who is God? And it worked out in all parts of their societies. And each group tried to avoid the other. They didn't like each other at all. The original readers of the story would have been thoroughly impressed with the fact that Jesus was talking to a Samaritan woman. Just look at verse 9 of our story. There's an impression there. There's surprise. Why would Jesus, a Jew, talk to a Samaritan woman? The other thing I want to note to you before I explain that phrase, God is a distinct being who is noble and near, is what it says in verses 5 and 6. It says, And Jesus went to the place that Jacob had given to his son Joseph, and there was a well there. You might think that's an interesting tidbit of history that has very little import. It's sort of just injected there. But to the Israelite readers of this history, it would have immediately told them this important truth, that even though Samaria was a place in which there was this conflict between Jews and Samaritans, Samaria was not a place devoid of God. This is a place significant in the history of Israel. It was a part of what God had promised to give to his people. To put it simply, it was not an atheist or agnostic place. It was a place that bespoke God's involvement over history as part of his covenant promises. And the interaction between Jesus and the Samaritan woman begins with her asking him why he would ask her for a drink. That would have seemed very strange to her. And it leads them to talking about the living water that Jesus can supply, which leads in turn to Jesus asking her to bring her husband, only she says she has no husband now, which may have been technically true. Jesus says you had five husbands, and the one that you were with now is not your husband. And who could know that? The woman comes to the conclusion, except a prophet. And if you were a prophet then perhaps I should ask you a question. Where are we supposed to worship? Is it on this mountain or is it, as you say, as a Jew in Jerusalem? To which Jesus says, you are missing the point. He doesn't actually say that, but that's what he is saying. You are missing the point. It's not where you worship. It's rather who you worship. The Bible says you are to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Which takes us to the pair of verses 
the three verses, I should say, where Jesus addresses the question, who is God? Who is this God, the Samaritan woman is seeking to worship? Who is this God who made everything that we see? Who is this God who is found in the Bible? And the answer that Jesus gives this woman and he gives us this morning is this. God is a distinct being who is both noble and near. Let me explain those three things. First, he is a distinct being. You see that in verse 24. God is a spirit, Jesus says. There are two things to note about God being a spirit. First, there is a contrast here naturally between the physical and the spiritual. For example, in Isaiah chapter 31, verse 3, it says, But the Egyptians are men and not God, and their horses are flesh and not spirits. That is to say, there is a contrast between flesh and spirit. Or maybe a better way to say it is there is more beyond the flesh. We're used to looking at the world in our culture, in the history of Western culture, as merely physical. Jesus is exploding that myth. Please don't believe the world is only physical, that you can discover everything there is to know if you only concentrate on the physical. There is a spiritual beyond. We teach our children this from the very earliest age. When we ask them to repeat after us, God is a spirit. And does not have a body as we do. The second thing that God as a spirit means is that in the Old Testament, being a spirit, that God as a spirit is connected always with God being a creative, life giving being. For example, in Genesis 1, verse 2, it says that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters at creation. And it is by the Spirit's work that God speaks into existence the entirety of the universe. God is not merely flesh. He is spirits. And God is a life-giving, creative spirit. What this means, these two things, is that it's a mistake to conceive of God in the same way that we conceive of things that are physical or tangible. When we try to turn God into something that is physical, what we do is cheapen God. We make him less than he actually is. It is for that reason the second commandment prohibits us from turning God into something that is an image. It's not just because it's inaccurate, it's because it's disrespectful. It reduces God to something that he is far more than. But there is another broader application to God being spirit as well, to being a distinct being. By distinct, I mean not only identifiable, he is unique. God is a unique being. There is a sense, perhaps in your own heart, or certainly is a sense in our culture as a whole, that all religions basically have the same God. It's just a matter of you choosing. I remember a small town where I grew up. There was a sign right at the edge of town that said, worship at the church of your choice. Now that makes some sense. We have freedom of religion in the United States. I'm very grateful for that. It's not true in other places in the world. May it be true. But there's also perhaps a potential difficulty with a sign like that. It may lead us to believe that worship is just a matter of your choice. Whatever you choose to believe is up to you. It's all good. It's all the same. Just make whatever choice you desire. Most people in our culture, most Americans believe that is true, that all religions have the same God, but that worship is just a God under a different name. Muhammad Gandhi said 
The soul of religion is one, but it is encased in a multitude of forms. If I had to guess, I would say in the airplane that my wife and I flew back on yesterday, if I would have surveyed the 160-some people on that airplane, most of them would have said, that's basically true. When Christians, Jews, Buddhists, and others pray to their God, all these individuals are basically praying to the same God, simply using different names for the same deity. But here's the first thing I want to say about who is God. That's not what Jesus is saying. He is saying God is spirit. And not just that he's not physical or that he is a life-giving spirit. He is claiming that the God of the Bible is something or someone different. He He is saying we must worship this God. He is unlike any other being the world knows. That's first. This God is distinct. That's who God is. If I can go back to the story that I started with, it is saying to the man from Uganda who asked me who is God, saying to him, this God is unlike any other God. There is one God who made the heavens and the earth, including the Grand Canyon. Or to repeat the words of the Shema from Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, there is one God and one alone. That's who God is. But the second thing that Jesus says in these three verses, God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. That God is a spirit might lead you to wonder if God is so far away, so unlike us, that we cannot know him. No, we can know him. That's the second thing. Hear that. God is not only distinct being, he is knowable. We must worship him in a way that is appropriate to him in spirits, but also in truth. It is not spirit plus truth. It is in spirit that is in truth in a way that is appropriate to him as God. Let me explain that a little more. When Jesus says in spirit, he is speaking the same way that Paul does later in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 10 through 12. Let me read that to you. Paul says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God, hear this, except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. What Paul is saying is that the Spirit of God takes the truth that is only known about God and to God and makes those truths understandable to us. That is the truth. Paul says in verse 7 of that same chapter, 1 Corinthians 2, that is precisely what he intended to do. He was giving the Corinthians truth that would ordinarily be hidden and secret. What he is saying that is, is that it comes through the Word of God, the Scriptures, the Revelation written down. That is how we come to know God himself. We're not just searching around trying to touch and feel for a place in which we can know God. No, God is a distinct being who is knowable. How do we know him? Through the Word 
of God. That's who we know who God is. That is why I say that God is not only distinct, that is spirit, he is also knowable. That is, the Spirit of God gives us the truth of God as spoken in the Scriptures. And that is a couple of very important implications for you. And I want to make those clear to you this morning. One is if you want to know who God is, you can discover who He is by reading His Word. Seems like such an obvious truth. And yet how many of us search and wonder questions like, what is God doing? Why is this happening to me? What is God up to really questions about not only what he's doing but who he is let me suggest for you this morning the place to start is in the scriptures it's not as though god is beyond our understanding or that god is holding back on us no there may be things that are difficult for us to understand about what god is doing or even about god himself but god intends in his word to make known to us who he is and from who he is what he is doing in our world and in us as his people. Or perhaps this morning, I'll speak to you directly. You're a person, when asked who is God, you would say to yourself, who can even know? I believe there's a spiritual reality, but who can really know what this God is like? The answer to how you can know God is found here. We must worship Him in truth. That is, go to the truth and discover who He is. Because God is not only distinct, He is knowable. It says so right here. Who is God? God is a distinct being who is knowable. That's what the Bible says. But the third thing you should know about God, as it says in this passage, that God is a distinct being and He is knowable, but He is also near. You might wonder, what do you mean, Pastor, when you say that God is near? Perhaps you're stating the obvious. If you know something about the Christian teaching about God, you would know since God is able to be in all places at one time, of course He is near to us. He is here. God is not limited by time or space, so it would be obvious that he is near us. But when I say that God is near, that's who God is, I don't mean that obvious way only. I mean near in the sense that you might talk about a friend who is near and dear. That is, he comes to us. That he is someone who comes to us to help. In verses 25 and 26, the, the woman says when the Messiah comes, he would tell us all things. And the woman, even though she might not have realized it, is more right than she probably meant to be. Because Jesus says at the very end of this chapter, or the end of this reading, the thing that is most startling of all. He says to her, I who speak to you am he. I am the Messiah. Jesus does tell us all things. That is true. Jesus says, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. He says that later in this gospel. But in that telling, 
He not only unfolds information to us, Jesus comes near to us in the incarnation. He comes as our God, as our Savior in human flesh. He is not distant, He is near in order to save in His own flesh those who are human. The Messiah comes so that the truth would not only be heard, it would be realized. He would come to tell us that we need to be saved. And then he would do everything necessary for us to be saved. That's what it means for Jesus to be near. What does the Bible say then about the question, who is God? It answers, he is a distinct being. He is a spirit. There is no one else like him. He is the creator. What you see all around us is God's work. He is also also knowable. The Bible has spoken to us in the word of God who he is. You may be impressed by his creation, but if you want to know who God is, go to his word and learn. He is a distinct distinct being who is knowable, but then he is also near. That is, he is not a God only out there, far away, inaccessible. No, God has sent his only son into this world as Jesus says in the previous chapter, that all who believe in him might be saved. Who is God? He is a distinct person, a distinct being who is noble and near. And that is the answer to the question. The man at the rim of the Grand Canyon was looking for. This morning I give it to you as well. Not because you're standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon... Perhaps some of you have, and you've been impressed as I was just two days ago by the greatness of what God did. But you're standing, of course, in life. And it's human to ask the question, who is God? And it is human to long for the answer. You are as human as the Samaritan woman found in John chapter 4. And to ask the big question, who is God, is not just her question, it is our question, Your question individually, our question is a human race. And it is by God's kindness to us this morning that he answers with such clarity, power, and grace. Who is God? God is a distinct person who is knowable and near. Let's pray to him. Father, it is with joy in our hearts this morning... They were thankful to call upon you as this sort of being. But even though you are great and powerful and what you have done is beyond our imaginations, you have not left it to us to try to discover who you are, but you've spoken to us in your word. We pray for each person who is here and each person who listens that this message of the power of God coming close to us in Jesus Christ would not fall on hearts that are unable to receive it, But instead, it would fall on soft hearts, ready hearts, able hearts to hear this news, respond to it in faith, and believe in this Jesus. We're thankful for the assurance this gives us, for the joy that it causes in our hearts. We pray that it would spring up in our hearts unto eternal life, as Jesus says earlier in this chapter. May that be true. For We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.